I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Align Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Alexander. And today, we're going to start things off with kind of a crummy riddle that, uh, I don't even know if we can call it a riddle, that would be an overstatement. What is the motion that human beings do more of than anything else, but we receive the least amount of education on it? Drum roll, walking. We don't know how to walk. We never taught how to walk. You take a learner's permit, you take classes on how to drive your car. No one ever gets into how to drive this flippin' body of ours. What's the deal? Pretty crucially important. That's how we send signals to each other of whether we are doing well, whether we are hurt, whether we are winning, whether we're losing. We constantly are transmitting these signals throughout the world indicated by our physical movement. Why don't we get any education on that? That's exactly what we talked about today. We got into the mechanics of effective walking how you can get your body functioning at its optimum level starting now hopefully so with mr james earls from uh, he's the writer of born to walk he is uh he's a manual therapist he studies with uh tom myers who's on the show i'll probably release this episode in a few weeks or so tom myers from anatomy trains really important stuff you're in the bodies check that stuff out really good and um yeah that's what we got into we broke down walking from toes up to your nose how to get optimal tissue joint function through every aspect of your system so that every movement that you do becomes therapeutic that is the fountain of youth i'm telling you you mentioned the idea of the, the elastics in the tissue so if we think of them being a, a like a catapult mechanism the the foot is really really important because the foot is acting like the the trigger so every catapult requires a trigger without without something pulling back to build up that elastic energy then no, there's no elastic energy to be, be had so our foot is very much acting as that that last trigger and the alignment of that trigger is going to be really important so any offset such as the bunion is going to to create a little kind of twist into the catapult it's going to send us in different ways we need to be able to go into that that full extension to have the f- full body communication so it's really by getting ourselves open Right. that we can have that communication you mentioned from the from the arm to the opposite opposite foot it's, a, it's almost like a, it's a swear word oh my god you're pronating right. my god you're going to you're going no. to die stop, <laughs> stop pronating and you know we'll put in all kinds of wedges in underneath pronation is actually it's an essential thing it helps the the, the bony mechanism of the foot to to open and lets all of the, the soft tissue kind of capture some of that, that energy and and we have lots of kind of spring mechanisms we've got all of that plantar fascia that should be absorbing and capturing some of the, the kinetic energy so it assists with the, the the recovery and helps you kind of propel forward or propel upwards if you're jumping yeah. so the foot is a, it's a beautiful mechanism it's a lifetime of study i just i wish i had more time to kind of really venture into it if you move well 
life works well. Life ends up exponentially getting better. When we talk about old age, oh, I don't move so well because I'm old. Baloney has nothing to do with the fact that you're old. It's because you've been perpetuating busted butt patterns for the last X amount of years. If you are 80 years old, that means you had 80 years to figure out how to move effectively in your body. Take every moment as an opportunity to get better in your body and your mind. And you are gonna be kicking some booty. Oh, oh, oh. Be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you will find hundreds of free videos on self-care, functional movement practices. You'll find the self-care kit, which is a handy dandy little foam roller. Hollow, inside that hollow mother trucker, we got a couple different size mouth release balls, a band, decompression band with door anchor. Adjust that thing, different levels in a door so you can decompress everything from your neck, your, your shoulder, your hips, your knees, whatever you're into. Use it as an exercise band. It's all inside the little package is what we need to keep that thing moving really well. That thing being your body. Um, be sure to subscribe, share. Do all that stuff on iTunes. I greatly appreciate that. That is what keeps the ratings going on the show. iTunes hears that people are leaving reviews and all that stuff. They say, wow, maybe this is working. We need to project this out to more folks. And I'm telling you, if the whole world started walking better, I bet you world peace would be imminent. That could be bullshit. Anyways, um utilize the Amazon portal on the website, please. If you're going to buy any stuff on there, uh, on the blog and podcast page, um, as well, you can utilize the Amazon portal to buy the self-care kit on Amazon. <laughs> that would be double points if you bought uh, the self-care kit on my Amazon portal. That'd be great. Um, the Amazon kit should be available on Amazon in the next like week or a couple weeks or so. We'll see. I'll officially tell you what it is. And... I'm going to be heading to London uh, next week. I'm going to be teaching out at Health Unplugged. Come check it out. Uh, hit me up. That would be great. I'd love to connect. And I'm going to be traveling all through Spain, Italy, Greece, Turkey, I think. Uh, heading down through Africa, Tanzania, blah, 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 blah. Going through Mozambique. All over the place. I'm exploring. If you guys have any opinions on where a person should go, please hit me up. I am totally open. I will be bringing camera bring in a microphone, computer, gonna be doing interviews, recording interesting stuff, I'll be posting all that stuff up on my blog, and um, check it out. I'm exploring movement of some fun, funky people all up in some travel areas, hopefully, that's the goal. Um, thank you so much, I greatly appreciate your all's support. Here we go, Mr. James Earls. Wow! Align Podcast. Hold on, James. Yes. I'm actually peeing my pants right now, so it's it's just like a tradition <laughs> that I have before I interview anybody. Uh-huh. I'll have a uh, a morning release. All right, so okay. we're gonna, we're gonna do a moment of silence, and then we will uh, get into chatting about walking and things of that nature. Sure. James Earls, thanks for coming on, man. I've been looking forward to chatting with you because I recognize the value in movement in a big way. You know, and I think that one of the things that I notice as I'm walking through the world is people, everyone has a different style of walking. Every day, it's, it's, it's a means of their self-expression. You know, if you go to sure. Oakland, people are going to have like a different swagger than if you go to Alabama. You know, and yeah. so it's yeah. such an amazing thing when we look at that. It's like, oh, cool. It represents their personality. You know, we leave it at that. 
But at Absolutely. a deeper biological level, what the heck is going on there? And how does that, what does that lead to? What's the, what's the development? How, how does our walking every step lead to the development of our physical structure? So I wanted to start off. First question for you. How does a person, this is one of those things that's significantly easier to just demonstrate and actually be able to coach hands on with somebody. What's it, you know, like what is an effective, a biomechanically effective gait? You know, how, do, how should we walk? Is it possible to potentially paint a little picture, you know, from like toe to nose? What should we be thinking about with, with, with walking? Is that, is that possible to do that? Um, yeah, well, it's, certainly it's one of the, the goals within the, the book to try and, and break that down and look at how, how is the, the full body involved with, with movement. And it's one of my, it was one of the frustrations whenever I started doing a little bit of research that a lot of even the, the gold standard physiotherapy uh, models were, were really isolating the, the lower body, saying that we, we walk with a, a locomotor portion, which is pretty much everything below the waist. Right. And what I tried to, to get across is that actually we should, we should be involving every part of us. So you know, a very simple exercise as an example would be, so you're, you're standing as you're talking to me, but yeah. if, you do, if you just kind of reach back with one foot, just kind of do a, a small toe touch, just kind of reach back and, and just relax. So it's just a toe touch, relax, toe touch, relax. You find your, your leg comes forward again, just off its own accord. Right. But it's very simple. If you, if you just put your head forward a little bit, and so kind of shift your head forward and, and repeat the same exercise, you find that well, your leg doesn't come forward with the same efficiency. Right. You lose a little bit of power and then you regain it again. So in that simple sagittal plane movement, just that extension, you've got everything right up to sternocleidomastoid, for example, would be in, involved with and uh, helping assist with your, your the simple act of hip flexion so even sternocleidomastoid we could say is a is a hip flexor um so we can in order to to simplify it we need to break it down in each of the we the easiest way is the the three planes of motion sagittal plane frontal plane and and transverse plane so we got everything that's straight up and down in the body that uh, i use tom meyer's anatomy trains model and that's a nice way of kind of visualizing how the body um works in those three planes. So in, in terms of the sagittal plane, we got the superficial, what we call the superficial front line, which is a, a line of continuous myofascial um, elements. So sternocleidomastoid into the stuff in front of the sternum. So the sternopectoral fascia, that leads to the rectus abdominis, rectus femoris, and into the um, tibialis anterior and all of the, the anterior compartment. So all of that would be involved. Every time we go into extension, all of that tissue is going to be communicating uh, through a line of tissue. And so it captures a little bit of kinetic energy, stretches some of the elastic tissue, and then it can can recoil to assist. So that would be part of the, the kind of the efficiency elements within the body as well, that all of it is being involved. And then we can, I could talk forever if you want to all of the, the the breakdown of all each of the anatomy and each of the right. each of the lines but i don't want to to, to bore the, all of your your listeners with all of the, that detail yeah no that's yeah. awesome i so one of the things that you had mentioned is the scm or sternocleidomastoid muscle which for folks out yeah. there that's kind of like the cable muscle that's fairly noticeable with most people coming from around your ear area down to your clavicle or the bones in the yeah. front of your chest and yep. so I'm curious with that. It's a similar similar thing happens if you're doing like if you're lifting heavy 
weights. You're doing a deadlift. You're doing a squat. You know, you don't want to crunch your neck too far back, and you don't want to bring your head too far forward. You want to find a nice neutral stack with that as you're doing as to get the most optimal power out of your body. Can Absolutely. you is what what is that? Is that some type of you know shut down or shutting down the nervous system's potential to communicate information? Is that shortening or lengthening of you know these fascial connective tissue trains, like you call them, which is like a trademark <laughs> you know word, or maybe not trademark <laughs> word, but it's 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 a word it's a word from the Thomas Myers Anatomy Trains textbook. Yep. Yeah, um, What it, can you explain a little bit, like the impact of uh, dysfunctional posture on your ability to output power? Yep. Um, so it is. It's a. It's a combination of everything that that you just said. So if I, if I crunch my neck down, if I'm trying to do a squat, a bench press, a you know, overhead lift of of any form, if I go off center, if I um, inhibit um, my my posture a little bit, I, there's certainly going to be a neurological input. But what I would be looking at um, from our point of view, our our own prejudice would be. Um, have I have I shortened some of the the myofascial elements, and by doing that, I've actually um, decreased some of the tension within the the muscle bags, so that can actually uh, reduce some of the potential for the power output within the muscle. So I reduce the power output, and also I'm depending on the movement in a position that it's less the tissue is less able to capture some of the energy. So quite often within most movements, unless I'm sitting in a in a in a gym machine, if I'm doing my bicep curls, if I'm doing my bench press in, in a machine, then most of our movements will actually start by going in the opposite direction. So thinking of a throw, for example, we don't throw from just kind of having our hand in front of us and trying to push it ahead. We actually take our hand, we hold the object, we go back and then go forward again. And as that's is that action of going in the opposite direction helps to lengthen the tissue, helps capture a little bit of that kinetic energy, load it into the elastic tissue, also stretches the bags within the muscle so that whenever the muscle contracts, that the force of that contraction is actually more immediately transferred into the tenderness tissue. So we get an, an extra power output um, for that, that deliberate throw, for the deliberate push, so again, whatever it may be. So I, I need to make sure that you can achieve the, the opposite action that from that which you might be thinking of in, in order to, to load the tissue more effectively, more efficiently. Yes, so what that ends up looking like for people at home is you are walking, you'll notice, if you're, I mean, hopefully you're outside in the park, like running with the dog as you're listening to this, you know, so as you're walking, you'll see your left leg comes back. As your left leg comes mm -hmm. back, your right arm comes back. In the Thomas Myers perspective on this, they break yep. down, they call that the spiral line, I believe. You know, so as, yep. you're, as you're coming back through that position, you can feel this stretch coming through your hip flexors or the front of your hip, relating across your midsection, your torso, up into your shoulder. I mean, you can feel it if you're, really, if you're fairly sensitive or attuned to this stuff. Yep. You can feel it all the way down your foot up to your hand you know mm. and so what's what's happening there is you're essentially loading that fascia like a spring you know and then yep. you you that spring load 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 and then pow release you know yep. and so what that ends up manifesting as being is efficient movement you know so when you go it's like what you're getting what you what you'd mentioned if you go from zero to you know 100 miles an hour it's really really challenging you know, but going from 60 miles an hour to 100 miles an hour, it's, it's not so bad, you know, because you have that momentum. And mm -hmm. so I'm curious for you, like, 
what kind of Im potential impediments exist throughout that fascial elastic loading chain spring thing? Like what, do we, what kind of things can we be thinking about? Of like hip things, knee things, foot things, everything? Like what should we be looking at for ourselves? Well, that, as you say, everything. So, and there's a very strong internal relationship. If I, if I have a, an impingement in my, in my toes, if I can't go into toe extension, I'm not, I'm not, when I'm walking, I'm not going to be able to, to fully achieve that, that hip extension. So if I lose, lose one element, in, especially again, we're thinking of that, that sagittal plane progression, if I lose one element, I, I lose the rest. So I'm, I don't get to, to stretch that catapult. You were talking about the elastics and, and yeah, we, we need to be able to go into that, that full extension to have the f full body communication. So it's really by getting ourselves open. Right. That we can have that communication you mentioned from the from the arm to the opposite opposite foot. Yeah. So I need to be aware of arm shoulder movement. Uh, that's going to require movement through the spine. It's going to require movement through the hip, the SI joints. I need to be able to go into knee extension, ankle dorsiflexion, going into toe extension. And so if I lose any one element um, through that chain, then I lose the I lose the efficiency of the chain. It can no longer act in that way. Right. So for folks, so starting at the very bottom of the chain, you mentioned, you know, toe, I don't think you said toe hinge, but like the, the hinging of the toe, which mm -hmm. in, um, you know, physical therapy terms, you call this the, the windlass effect as your, as your toe comes back into that dorsiflexion, you're essentially again, like loading the spring, you know, so we have yep. all of these different, our body is amazing, by the way, it is. you know, <laughs> it's, so, it's just so darn effective if we give it the right information, you know, but a lot of people that I work with in my practice have um, these really fantastic things on the inside of their foot called bunions. And mm -hmm. I'm, do you have any information for folks? A, how does, how does that, how does that start? And then how do we, how do we work to develop that or, or make it, make it right? <laughs> you know, and, yep. and what, what is the impact if say our big toe is rolling out you know, or rolling in, or however, however you want to say it. You know, like yep. what, what is that? So, I have, there's so many potential reasons for the development of that that bunion. So it can be genetic, but um, it can be through bad footwear. Uh, so using uh, shoe, shoes that have a, a closed-in toolbox. But you mentioned the idea of the, the elastics in the tissue. So if we think of them being a, a, like a catapult mechanism, the, right. the foot is really, really important because the foot is acting like the, the trigger. So every catapult requires a trigger. Without, without something pulling back to build up that elastic energy, then no, there's no elastic energy to be, be had. So our foot is very much acting as that, that last trigger. Yeah. And the alignment of that trigger is going to be really important. So any offset, such as the bunion, is going to, to create a little kind of twist into the catapult. It's going to send us in different ways. Mm. So, and that can be driven either you know, simply from the, the hip. If I have particularly tight, tight hips, I might lead, that might lead into a twist through the, the lower leg, which kind of twists my, my foot. So that I'm actually releasing that energy on the, at the toe-off phase with a, kind of an offset so it kind of encourages the toe across, but also vice versa. That's well, if I have something that's driven my toe across, so the beginning of the bunion, that's what's going to then reflect up into a, a twist at my hip. So it can be difficult when we've got a, a mature client coming in with a bunion as to say, you know, where did that come from? It could be because of something um, in the foot that was historical, or it could be you know being driven down from from the hip. So there's again, there's lots of mechanics that need to be to be looked at. Um, 
but certainly it's it needs to be dealt with in terms of its its influence further up the chain that if I'm constantly towing off with a, a kind of a twisted or misaligned trigger then that's going to yeah great potential for all kinds of interesting things happening sure. you know through the knee through the hip into the even into the back or you know potentially right up to the TMJ perhaps you know, and so, so with that, you know, as you shorten or lengthen or, or adjust any aspect of, of your body at all, anywhere, the whole entire system is able to balance to that. So you'll have a compromised system at every single level. As soon as you alter that trigger just a little, little bit, that will relate all the way up to your head. You know, and so when you say something like that, like, Aaron, you're crazy. You know, but when you look at that, it's like, well, if the if the toe is rolling in, then the knee will roll in. If the knee is rolling in, then you're always going to have this medial rotation of the hip. You're going to lose what Kelly Starr from Mobility Wad, who I think is fantastic. Everybody should check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he calls it torque in the hips. And you know, it's not yeah. like he's the only one that, that, that said that, but he's more notorious, yeah. made it more popular. You know, so yeah. we lose that torque through the hips. So mm-hmm. again, it gets back to that, that spring loaded system. If your, if your joints are collapsing inward, it's essentially as though the spring where as opposed to being compressed straight down, it's like the springs at an angle now. And when you press down on that spring at an angle, it is not going to work nearly the same. It's going to start bulging out. What does that bulge look like? Sometimes it may manifest as a bulging disc, you know, in a roundabout kind of way. You know, so yeah, not necessarily specifically that's that's bound to happen, but that's you know the, going up through the chain of events, all sorts of wacky stuff happens as soon as the system is compromised. Mm-hmm. So going back, coming kind of keep on following through. So we're at the big toe. What do people? What should people know about arch? Is you know so we have the lateral arch and the medial arch and the transverse arch. It's like what is all that stuff? What's the, what's the point of having a strong supportive arch in your foot? And how do we develop it? Yep. Well, certainly we we develop arches just as we as we do the the, the curves in the spine as we as we learn to walk as we're um, developing a little bit of strength into the into the intrinsic muscles of the foot into the muscles in the calf they start to hold the bones together in a, in a more compact way and the bones just their natural architecture are kind of designed to fit together and that gives us the you mentioned the the medial longitudinal the back longitudinal and the, the two transverse arches but I actually I, I like to think of the foot not as a series of arches but as one kind of almost like a canopy dome right. and it works as a system it doesn't work as four separate arches it, it's right. one it's one mechanism and if you can imagine just um, kind of all of those loose bones whenever there's you lose the integrity of the, the muscles those but those bones are going to be in a loose bag and then with with a little bit of tension uh, with a little bit of integrity, with tone in the muscles, they can draw those those bones together, and so that's that creates an, an essential platform. So we're talking about the the energy at toe off. If you're towing off and releasing all of that energy, you want to have a, a pretty solid platform to to release it from. So that would be really the the supination phase when the the bones come together again. But whenever we we land, whenever we heel strike, or you know, if you're running, if you're forefoot or midfoot striking, you want to be able to, to open the foot as well. So that's the, kind of the, the pronation phase that many people talk about and be familiar with. Sometimes that's 
it's it has been seen as a it's a it's almost like a, it's a swear word. Oh my God, you're pronating. Right. My God, you're going to you're going no. to die. Stop, stop pronating, and you know right. we'll put in all kinds of wedges in underneath. Pronation is actually it's an essential thing. It helps the 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 bony mechanism of the foot to to open, and lets all of the the soft tissue kind of capture some of that that energy. And and we have lots of kind of spring mechanisms. We've got all of that plantar fascia that should be absorbing and capturing some of the the kinetic energy. So it assists with the the, the recovery um, helps you kind of propel forward or propel upwards if you're jumping. Yeah. So the foot is a, it's a beautiful mechanism. It's a lifetime of study. I just I wish I had more time to kind of really venture into it. Right. But um, it is it's not so much. I don't think of, we have a value sometimes. And you've got good arches, you've got weak arches. It's not so much of where are your arches, but what do you do with them? Can you still go into pronation, and can you? I think equally importantly, can you come out of pronation and, and go to a more solid platform, the supinated foot? So, can your foot go to an openness and then to a closeness, a kind of a, a tight, bony, integrated foot, and that give to give that solid platform to release the the energy from? So, I think for me, that's the, that's the more important question rather than well, you've got good or bad arches. Is that like, well? That is kind of. Do you have to melt mind? Do you have a, an adaptive, functional um, foot that can can open and and close? Right. Yeah. And so for folks listening, pronation is kind of like what would happen to your foot when it's you know in eversion, or it looks like a duck foot essentially. You know, if you kind of squat around, that's like a, a pronated foot. So when you go to the running store and they're like, "Oh, you need arch support or whatever it may be," because your you know your feet are just collapsing in. That's that. Which that if that's how you're standing around in the world, that's that's collapse. That's not nice, you know. But it, it, what what you're what you're getting at is it's not just a, a one static answer, you know. It's that rotation and that spiral through pronation and supination. Supination being the opposite, you know. So, I'm one of the things that I, I saw in your book that I thought was really interesting. Um, which the book is is ready to walk, which is fantastic. I think if anyone's more interested in the subject, um, is it ready to walk? Born to walk. Born to walk. Sorry, born ready to walk. ready to run. Ready to run is, is the Kelly Starrett book. Uh, born yeah, to walk. Okay. Born to walk. Sorry. Um, right. So born to walk. You know, so but one of the things that that you mentioned in there is that the the gastrocnemius and the soleus, which are the muscles in the back of your leg, they mm-hmm. kind of spiral in to their attachment point. So is that? Um, yeah. You know, so what that's, you know, you can see that's obviously the foot is built as like this spiraling mechanism as we walk. Hence, pronation, mm-hmm. supination, as you're going through that motion, it's, it's in and out. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can I you kind of talk it's, about it's like that spiral? Yeah, I think, um, so it's one of the things I, I, I love about trying to understand anatomy. If it's, it's comparing us to to other primates or other mammals and when we look at the the primate foot so any gorilla chimpanzee they have a they have a flat foot and one of the things that we've done seems to be um, is that our lower leg is actually laterally rotated and it's the lateral rotation in the lower leg that seems to have created that that canopy within the foot that's the, the arch or dome like um, structure that we have so with the, the lateral rotation that's given us the ability to to pronate and pronate 
pronation leads to a kind of a medial rotation. So it's a kind of a, a sequence of events that leads us into maybe loading and unloading the tissue in that way. So we have lots of spiral dynamics within the within the foot. So yeah, I think that the canopy was created by by rotation and that gives us the, the ability to absorb energy and maybe that's one of the reasons for, for standing up for, for walking and actually it's it's not as difficult as we might think there's a the, the constant question of well why do we stand up why do we have bipedal gait and actually I think it's perhaps because it's it's easier it's more efficient it's actually quite it's a lot, lot of work to you know if you try crawling around on the floor for with kids for a while yeah. it's actually it's it's pretty tiring right. um so the the canopied foot is actually one of the one of the not necessarily maybe essential but certainly very um, important dynamics um, for our upright bipedal um, progression through the world. So and it's it's very much tied up with the the rotation. I think it's the rotation that gives us it gives us the, the the arch in the foot and then it it helps to load the tissue as it as it folds into pronation following the the heel contact. And one of the things that you were talking about is like the compactness of all those bones. We have something like 26 bones in the foot, you know, and so they're all articulating, moving together. Mm. If that, if you got a loose bag of foot, then it ends up becoming more of like a, uh, like a pirate stub. What do they call that? When you're walking around in the wood, the wood peg. Oh, the, 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 yeah, the wooden stump. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, so if you just had this loose bag of bones down there with no support, no, no tent, like James is talking mm. about then the ability for that energy to be able to move from the toe up through to the hip and the spine and the head, it's going to get lost. You know, and you can, you can play with this. I mean, if you're doing like, if you are doing, you're squatting, picking something heavy up or whatever, you can play and just start off getting a squat position and roll your knee in and look how unathletic your foot looks. You know, it looks completely spoiled. You know, it's a, your whole entire arch is just connecting with the ground. There's, there's no lift in that system. Now do the opposite and roll your knee out. And what you'll notice of all of a sudden, oh, you have this big, beautiful canopy. You know, it's like all of a sudden the wind gets in the sail and woof, lifts up yep. your foot. It's very beautiful. You know, so I'm, yeah. I'm curious, you know, with that, how important is the, the pelvic girdle? And the hips, you know, so we, we got into the big toe, we got into the arches, you know, like the, the, a lot of talk about, about everything, but like getting into with the hip, one of the things that you mentioned in the book, I think it was in your book, is the, the sacrum being like a hammock strung up between the two trees of the Ilia, you know, so it's just, it's such a beautiful, beautiful visual, you know, because yeah. when you look at that joint, we, it is, it is not stuck in place. It's not like the anatomy model that we see in, in middle school, you know, mm -hmm. there's so much fluid articulation within that system. Yep. What are the, what's the, why does that matter? What's the potential that could go wrong with that, you know, sacral issues <laughs> or pelvic issues? And how yep. do we prevent, how do we keep things moving well through there? And how does it relate to walking? That's like 12 questions. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, thank you. The, the image, <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't claim for myself that is, um, that's, I, I came to that via uh, Tom's Myers. So was the, the, the movement is, is not a lot and, and it's been debated through the history of anatomy. It does, the, does the SI joint actually have some movement? And I think finally we maybe have come to the conclusion, yes, it does. It's about four millimeters of movement, but it's four millimeters on either side, which in terms of 
length is probably not that important, but in terms of angles, right. it's very important. If you're thinking about one leg going behind you into hip extension and one leg going forward into relative hip flexion, there's going to be quite a lot of torsion through the pelvis. Right. So that needs to be negotiated via the, the SI joint, so the two joints on either side of the sacrum. So between the sacrum and the, the pelvis, and that's the, the hammock image. You have a beautiful image of a rope bridge just behind your head. Yeah. Um, it's possibly a kind of a, a similar idea. Right. So we've got all of the, the ligaments, which are really quite dense. So if I lose those four millimeters on either side, actually I lose quite a few degrees of movement. And if I lose those degrees at that joint, then, well, if I want to have the same stride length, then those few degrees have to go to another joint or a, maybe one, two or three other joints. That's going to be a lot of extra work and another extra load onto those joints. So maintaining mobility is, is important. And of course, one of the, you asked what the question of how do we maintain it? One of the best ways to maintain it is just keep on moving. Right. So it's it's getting up, getting out of the chair. You're... <laughs> You're standing at the at the uh, the microphone, so keep moving, keep going in also in in different directions. So it's not just sitting sitting in the gym, you know, pumping something in front of you, but getting up, having both what we would call top down and bottom up movement. So we've got movement going to the SI joints from the legs, but we've also got movement going to the SI joints via the spine. So doing rotational movements from with the with the arms so we're getting a twist through the spine so that's asking the, the sacrum to twist on, on inside the ilia or by by going into that flexion extension that we that we use in walking they were actually getting then the the ilia the so the two kind of hip bones if you like on either side of the sacrum they're twisting around the sacrum so we're we're kind of massaging the si joints in different ways yeah, that's an analogy that I use all the time is, is massaging, you know, so as you are walking, you are giving, you, you have an onboard Swedish massage therapist extraordinaire in your body right now. You know, everyone yeah. has an onboard massage therapist. And so even if you go to see the crummiest, most nonsense massage therapist in the world that took like, a, you know, a, a, a 12-hour course on YouTube on how to massage, they will yeah. probably provide benefit because they're compressing your tissue. That's mm -hmm. it. You compress yeah. that tissue. That's how we get the old gunk out and bring the new beautiful stuff into the system. That is yeah. life, you know? And so, yeah. you know, but when it gets tricky is a system that is able to move more effectively and more functionally gets a better massage. The healthy get healthier and the unhealthy get unhealthier, you know, yeah. because you perpetuate yeah. those patterns. So it's yeah. so important to get your body lined up so that your movement becomes this all day long massage. If you're in that, that system, you really don't need massage. Massage becomes kind of unnecessary. It's fun, you know, human contact, that's really important. But you, know, you yep. can get like a girlfriend or a boyfriend and like that's, you know, so you've kind of covered that area. You know, it's, but, it's, but I'm curious for folks at home, because obviously everyone, you know, myself included, are not in a perfect balance, you know? So like how, is, is foam rolling, you know, like myofascial release balls, bands, you know, I don't like, what do people do to, to work with this on, the, on their own if they don't have you or they don't have a, a PT or somebody around? Sure. So I think one of our, our colleagues, uh, a guy, Eric Dalton, is, has kind of coined the phrase of motion is the lotion, right. which I think is, is, is fa fa fantastic. I, I wish I'd thought of it first. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's probably, it's 
going for a walk or you know just doing any kind of movement and and trying to sense trying to feel into your body and trying to kind of say okay so why can i not do whatever it was that i used to be able to do or you know why can i not throw like you know my cousin or whatever it is and i think all of the the tools you mentioned so my fascia rolling ball rolling the taping everything can be a useful tool so long as it's kind of relatively intelligently applied so, um, you know, there's a lot of debate out there on Facebook that foam, you know, foam rolling is either a panacea for all ills or it's it's just a little rubbish and should be kind of thrown away and burnt. Um, and the truth, I think, is as always somewhere in between the two. It's both. Yeah, it's it if on it's the user. Yeah, if yeah. it's badly applied, then obviously it's not going to do you any benefit. If it's applied at the wrong time, it's not going to do you benefit. But um, just by having a, a a good workout on it. And by finding those, usually the sweet points, and it's it's listening to your own body, finding the right tools, maybe going along and you know having an appointment with a with a therapist that can kind of guide you to the um, the way that's going to suit or fit with your body best. Right. So you know it can be it can be a, I don't know hundred dollars or whatever it may be to to have that appointment, but then that's going to give you the tools that that will kind of last for months or years. So rather than paying the, the fifty dollars and going for a bad massage every every week or every second week, just you know, getting a good therapist to point you in the right direction and you know, give you a little bit of guidelines, whether it be Swiss balls, foam rollers, tennis balls, voodoo bands, whatever it may be, sure. um, they can they can kind of set you up and and yeah, get you on the on the right track. Right. Yeah. So another another thing that I, I talk about is Exactly what you're saying is is a foam roller or a myofascial release ball or a you know a decompression band whatever you have, mm-hmm. it's rubbish if you don't know how to effectively use it. You know, so so all of these tools they're nothing more than tools. You know, you can have this amazing ten thousand dollar power drill, whatever. I don't think there's any ten thousand dollar power drills out there, but you can have this amazing tool. But if you don't know how to how to turn it on or how to actually effectively build a house, you don't have that background you're still going to make crap. It doesn't matter how expensive your tools are. It's all dependent on the intelligence of the user. Hence, get interested. You know, like start learning how to work your body because what you're doing is you're putting money in the bank. You know, you're starting to collect interest because as you learn how to work with your system, every day you're working a little bit more effectively, which opens up these new doors of how to work with yourself even more effectively. No, so it's that step-by-step. All of a sudden, eventually, it's like, you know, oh, wow, I see the light. You see the light because you went through all the darkness in the woods and such for so long. And now it's like, oh, you're picking up momentum. You know how to use the tools. Now a stop sign becomes a really fantastic way to get like myofascial release on your whatever. You know, it's because yep. you're able to yep. do that in any situation. So mm-hmm. I think that's a really important point. You know, do yeah. you have something to add to that? Oh, I was just going to say that that there's a, a very simple ways in which you can you can work with yourself. That you know, you, having a having an appointment with a with a good therapist, they can they can show you lots of self self massage, self release. So it's yeah, as you said, just sitting in the car, you can be working away on your on your neck, on your shoulder, on your on your pecs. So yeah, there's there's lots. Lots, lots that we can do. Lots and, of different ways. And that's and I actually believe that, that is more powerful. And as far as like a global power, like global, global impact on, on individuals or people, then everyone de- being dependent on a therapist. You know, I think you should see therapists as guides and see them as teachers and try to take as much as you. When you go into a session with somebody that you respect and you really want to follow whatever they have to say, go in with a notepad, 
You know, go in with questions ready to go. If you're spending $140 on a session with somebody, you better have an intention with that. You know, if you go in and expect to just like fall asleep and like get healed, you're, you're a lazy bastard and it's not going to work. You know, it's like, you know, and then, and it's, and it's okay to have that experience, you know, of like wanting and and relaxing, but if you really want to get work done and you expect to get work done to you, it's not going to happen. It needs to connect with your nervous system. That's why I've converted my business. I still do hands-on work, but I've, I've highly converted my business into teaching people how to use the self-care kit, which is the thing that I, I, I created. And um, yep. you know, teaching people how to continue working with themselves every mm-hmm. single day. You, you have all the tools to work with yourself. You do not need to wait for that weekly session with whoever. You have yep. it right here in your living room, in your car, whatever it is. It's just a matter of developing your intelligence and then using the tools, whatever the tools may be for you. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. rant finished. <laughs> well, I will also say, as a, as a as a working therapist, I actually get excited whenever I have a client coming in wanting to be given those tools, as opposed to those that just want to come in and lie down. It's like they they just want to switch off. I, I want right. to be able to educate my clients. So, sure. so certainly anyone out there, they you know don't feel shy about just kind of asking the right questions, but taking the the therapist time to, you know, not be working on them on the table, but actually educating them. Yeah, sure. take take that opportunity. You're just paying for the session that you know i don't mind what i do during that session as long as i'm doing it for, um, something beneficial for you right. whether it be talking to you educating you working on you it's yeah, right all of it's i've okay. actually i've actually fired clients before because they they weren't engaged you know so for yeah. me it's like if i'm gonna see a couple of few people in a day and you're a person mm-hmm. that's not actually engaging with me and, and just wants me to fix you i have no interest you know like you need to go down the path a little bit further before you're ready for someone to actually you know, teach you how to fish. You know, a lot of people, they just don't, they don't care to learn how to fish. And for those individuals, you know, I, I hope that changes. <laughs> That's like all I sure. can say. Yeah. So continuing sure. to follow, follow the chain up through the body here, um, mm-hmm. Spinal Engine, Serge Rakovetsky, super, super yeah. cool book. I'm sure you're super familiar with it. It's rad. Um, people should check it out on YouTube. It's so cool. Uh, and uh, essentially what it is, I don't know what the, what the t- term for that is right now, but a fella, he had his legs chopped off and his arms chopped off. I don't know what the story was right now, is, but um, doesn't have any legs, doesn't have any arms. Pretty impressive the way that this guy is able to move still. <laughs> and what yep. you see is, is you see this beautiful spiral undulation where the guy looks like an upright fish. You know, and so what yeah. you what you see is, oh, our spine isn't just this static, linear, forward, backward, you know, TikTok thing. It's actually yeah. almost like a fish swimming through space, and it's like mm-hmm. an up, it's like a, we're like an upright fish. Fish, and yeah. what we call this is the spinal engine. You know, and so yeah. it's actually creating momentum and create through that torque force through the system. Mm-hmm. What happens for an individual if they don't have the ability to get that spinal rotation, to create that engine, and mm-hmm. how do we get better? How do we get better? Um, so I think it was another one of our colleagues, a guy called Lorimer Mosley, recently said, oh, we, we're talking a lot about neuroplasticity, about the way if we have a, a stroke or a brain injury that different parts of the brain will take over some of the jobs. And, and he said, we keep talking about neuroplasticity. He said, as, as biological being, beings, we're, we don't, we're not just neuroplastic, we're actually just bioplastic. Right. That 
we have any kind of deficit in the body and and another part of the body will take on some of that job. So get, you know, within reason, there are probably elements that some essential parts that, that can't be substituted. But we have wonderful ways of, of just creating compensations that will allow us to, to do whatever it is that we're doing. Um, so as you mentioned, the um, Serge's video of the, the guy with no legs. So he's he's able to use his body in a, in a different way. And Serge's idea is you, you don't need legs to walk. You just need to be able to, to facilitate get movement into that spinal engine and in the kind of reverse engineering well we don't actually need the spinal engine to to walk we have other mechanisms as well so we can use more of the the legs we can use more of an arm swing so quite often we find that that people that that don't have that maybe thoracic rotation they start using a kind of an, an arm drive to compensate for that so there are other ways in which we can work in we can bring in other mechanisms um, in terms of um, some of the, the ways in which we kind of switch in and out of different different modalities, uh, as an example I use is, you know, just asking what happens after ten or fifteen minutes in a museum. It's like we generally, well, hopefully, if it's if it's not that boring. If we're not bored, we're we're often tired. Um, maybe some of the aches and pains come in, but most of us could quite happily go for a walk for five or ten miles. You know, if we're going relatively flat, we're following a canal, and um, that's letting us get into those elastic mechanisms compared to that stop and start way of walking in a museum. That's a very muscular, um, probably more of an individual muscle kind of compensatory strategy. Right. So we have so many different ways of kind of working around um, losses and deficits. Sure. We can walk with just the hip flexors or we can walk with just the feet or we can work with that extra arm drive. So in, or, in order to, to see that, um, it does require a, a, different, uh, a different vision and probably somebody with a, a slightly trained eye. Right. So you're asking about how can, how can we switch that, that spinal engine back on? Right. Well, one of them is going to be taking often a longer stride for that longer stride might might require some of the other things we were talking about right at the start the hip extension the knee extension the ankle dorsiflexion the toe extension so in order to switch into the other engines we need we need toe extension and ideally we want that to also be um, pretty much aligned not going off in some kind of a twist because of a, a bunion so it's just thinking of the body as this very intricate intricate and interconnected machine yeah. It's like we want all of those cogs to be lined up and and working and communicating to one another right. so that's it's a that's a it's a big question um, and it's it certainly re it requires a somebody with a, a little bit of a fine tuning right yeah and so when working with your body do you think that there is a place that people should start you know, so looking at like the spinal engine thing, you can see this, mm -hmm. this fella with like the most miniature levers in the world. He's still, what, yep. what it does is it accentuates that movement, the engine, the spine, you know, so you can actually yep. see these undulations. As we start yeah. to lengthen our levers out, we actually get more power out of it, but it's more mm -hmm. distributed throughout the whole system. You can't just see this, this, this huge articulation in the spine so much. But you can yep. see that the core of that is actually coming from the spine, or is it? You know, so for folks that are wanting to work with themselves or whatever, therapists, do you think mm -hmm. that we need to address what's happening from, you know, sacrum to head first? 
or do you think it's, you know, is it different for every individual? Like how do we approach our bodies? Where do we start? I would say for, for most people, so th those that would be walking with, with two legs, it would be, let's, let's look at the hips probably first. If there would be one very common deficit, it would be the hips, maybe then the ankle dorsiflexion and then toe extension. So, um, we want to get get those kind of working properly because whilst the surge's video is showing that beautiful sinewy fish-like movement through the spine the the guy is actually doing a lot of work from above the pelvis in order to create that so he's actually he's having to lift the pelvis with the abdominals and with the spinal spinal muscles whereas whenever we're walking it's the the twist really comes because of our bipedal stride so it's because of the hip extension and um, flexion, because of the heel strike in front, the toe extension behind, that twists and drops the, the pelvis. And that actually sends the forces from the pelvis up into the spine. So that's that's really, the, the for me, the, the kind of the, the truer, more, perhaps more common um, switch for turning the engine on. Right. So making sure that we've got the, the, the stride length and the ability to also just to, to drop the hips side to side. And that's going to be a kind of interdependence between the adductors, the opposite abductors, and the, and even the, the quadratus lumbar and one of the, the low back muscles. Sure. So making sure that they're all allowing that, that length and that, that movement to happen. I'm curious, random tangent. Um, uh -huh. So looking at, assuming we believe in evolution, um, we so we came from from primates, you know, or we can say that or whatever. Disagreements are fine, um, but, you know. But that evolution of our movements. Say we started out as fish, and then we became reptiles, and then we were crawling around, and then eventually we slowly start coming up, like the T-shirt says. Are we done evolving? Did we make it? Are we have we gotten to the finish line, or is like what's what's the future of movement look like? Obviously, that's a tough question. But like, what do you do? are we done? Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so. And I think that you know that's that, that's one of the easy criticisms of the, the the very simple paleo argument of well we everything's been downhill for the last ten thousand years since we went to agriculture and it's like no that you know we stopped evolving but we evolved for a, a pre agricultural society no we're still evolving we're still changing um, what the future looks like goodness knows um, you know, I don't think we're going to, we're not going to drop off toes or um, lose some of the abilities. It's, you know, if it is still, if it's still sexually attractive to have, to have toes and to be able to go into hip extension and, and move her back, I think that those abilities are going to, to hang around for, for some time to come. So I don't think the, I don't think we're going to see anything too radical, uh, certainly not in the, the next few generations. Um, I think we're going to stay looking pretty similar, but we're certainly some of the some of the height influences and um, it's going to be more dietary more epigenetic rather than kind of full body so fish face proportions um body length the height proportions right. they're all going to change but i think the the essential blueprint is going to take it's going to take something drastic to to create a genetic um either a genetic or epigenetic um dynamic to to stop us looking from kind of at least recognizable right. as homo sapien yeah i have a feeling where we are will actually depends on the, the progress of technology and such i have mm. a feeling physically we are starting to as in the last like you know 20 years or so which obviously doesn't have a big impact on, on human anatomy yet 
Mm. Um, but if we continue in this direction of sitting for everything, you know, and just like we're outsourcing our movements, you know, I'm curious yeah. what the, what the, the de-evolution of that looks like. You know, because we started off, we needed to walk across the plains, and you know, we're doing endurance hunting or whatever that word is, you know, and we're, we're, we're having to use our bodies, climb the tree, get the apple, get the coconut, you know, and that's how we got, now it's sit in the car, you know, slowly walk and lean against your, your grocery cart as you're hunching over and putting the coconut in the thing, coming back, sitting down, eating the thing on the couch, watching the game, fall asleep and doing it all over again. Like, yep. Our body is almost not necessary anymore. <laughs> yep. Yes. Yep. And uh, and obviously with a, a very refined diet, you know, a lot of, and I think we we are not appreciating just the, the influence of our diet onto the the next generation. So there there are definitely epigenetic influences that if we if we sit around if we eat a little crap, then that's going to to have an influence on and. Um, Probably negatively onto the the generation that, that comes after us that that we bequeath. Um, so yeah, I, we are in danger. Um, I don't think we're going to change our overall look. We still have five toes, five five fingers, and each toe, um, foot and hand. But certainly, we are going to become less less fitted to the, our natural environment, and perhaps more fitted to our unnatural environment and I don't think that's necessarily a, a, a healthy thing it's not a healthy environment that we're that we're living in right. it's a it's a productive environment for modern society but yeah not not good for us yeah. certainly it's yeah it is scary when one thinks about that too right too closely I, I was chatting with uh, Frank Ferencic who's the writer of Exuberant Animal mm -hmm. and a bunch of other books yeah. super super fun, fun guy yeah and um, yeah. so we were chatting one of the things that he mentioned was um that he sees the future of our evolution going in direction of dramatically unhealthy people and then the other end of the spectrum of dramatically healthy people. And this, this mm. juxtaposition or this contrast between those two realms is going to get vaster and vaster. And I think that's, I think that's accurate where it's like, I think it's almost kind of like the seventies the or the, you know, the sixties was like, you know, the beatnik hippies where it's like, they're almost like this, this sub genre culture of people. And I think that, what they're doing is they're saying, you know, screw the system essentially, you know, and that at that time, I think there was still more movement necessary to survive. Whereas today there's even less, you know, so I think there's yeah. going to be a, a large percentage of people that go on board and they get on the spaceship and they decide to, you know, sell their bodies for the computer program or whatever it may be, you know, and their bodies are just going to turn into crap. And then there's going to be other individuals, I'm on this side of the, of the train, you know, where it's like, no, like I, I want to ride my bike to work. I want to swim in icy cold water. Like why? It feels good. Like I don't know what it is, but it, it, it makes me feel better. You know, I think that there's going to yeah. be a minority of individuals that could be perceived as like hippies, you know, like modern future hippies, <laughs> where the modern future hippies is just like they still ride a bike. You know, <laughs> freaking <Yeah>. hippies, <laughs> get off the road, you know. Anyways, um, yeah, so I'm, that's, that's at the moment I'm reading Chris Chris McDougall's uh, new book, The Natural Born Heroes, right. and he's yeah, it's he, it, he's saying a, a similar thing. It's like God, we we need to get out there and move. So he's he's talking about oh, um, people's work that's very similar to Frank's, Erwin uh, Lacore, and and many others. Where it's just like, we need to we need to regain some of our contact with outside world, and um, preferably a natural world, and preferably just the random fun movements that we used to do as kids, just 
get out there and jump and squat and you know, throw things and, and you know, play hide and seek. And um, thankfully, I was walking through a park um, last week and I saw I saw a bunch of, of girls um, in their school uniform playing hide and seek. I got excited. It's like, my God, that's the first time I've seen that in I don't know when. Sure. It's like kids yeah. that are 12, 13 actually doing playing a game that I remember from, from childhood right. like rather than sitting there playing on their iPad or checking their texts or you know just kind of sulking their way back home. So yeah, yeah. yeah that's, it's I've, exciting. We need I've, to. Yeah, I've had Erwin uh, LaCorin here as, as well and that was one of the things that we were chatting about is just like, it's so simple. You know, it's like we have all this science behind, you know, like the fighting sides and all this stuff that we get, you know, nature bathing. It's like, are we really coming up with technical names for being outside now? Like, yeah. that's like a, that's ridiculous. And so I, I'm, I'd like to keep on moving up the chain. So we went from the big toe, we got into the arches of the foot, we, then we jumped up into the hip and then through the spine. And one of the things you mentioned was, you know, top down or bottom up approach with this. It's like, is, is that, or maybe you didn't say that exactly, but you know, up, down, down, up, you know, is, is that momentum being generated from the yep. hands and the shoulders? Is it being generated from the feet? Is it being generated from both? Obviously, you know, it is, but what do we need to think about to get that movement through our upper spine or thoracic spine like you kind of got into, but getting more out into the appendages, the arms? What's the value yep. of swinging arms as we're moving? And how do we make that better? Um, well, making it better, one is just letting the arms swing. So getting your hands out of the pocket or getting your hands off that, that bloody phone as you're, as you're walking along and, and right. checking your texts. So just, just letting them do what they're supposed to do. Right. Um, so they, they create a kind of uh, a, yeah, a counter movement to the, the swing of the legs. Obviously, as one leg's going forward, it's the upper opposite arm that's going forward. So you mentioned that again at the at the start that whenever you go into that that kind of longer stride, you'll feel the tension and the communication between upper and lower body. So um, the the shoulder girdle and the head are kind of they're the 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 upper element of the the trigger mechanism. We need the the counter movement to stop that spiral from just kind of going up out through our heads right. so so keeping the heads um, pretty much straight ahead you know most of us walk looking looking forward um, so that that creates a kind of a counter twist that comes down through the spine so if you're not getting it from the from the arms and um, that helps going into the thoracic spine and probably the thoracic spine is probably the one of the the most common restrictions in the, in the body. Uh, one of my teachers, a wonderful guy called Gary Gray, would say, if you can, as a therapist, if you can give a client back some thoracic, usually thoracic extension, but certainly thoracic rotation, you've given their shoulders, their neck, their lumbars, their their um, limbs, all of their limbs, the lower um, legs especially, a huge gift. That, that actually, because most movement is going to be coming up um, and hopefully tr should be traveling through the thoracic spine but it's it's so a threat of kind of closing down because of the connections with the ribs so you've got um, emotional issues stress affecting the the breath the thoracic spine can lock on if you've had a, a rib injury the thoracic spine can kind of lock on so if you lose that that adaptability through what we would prefer to call the rib basket rather than the rib cage you know if you think of the the rib cage is a kind of it's a it's a it is a locked on whereas we we prefer to think of it like a basket like a wicker basket awesome. it should have a little bit of kind of give within it so i think yeah 
So just doing just doing some kind of rotational exercises next time you kind of working out rather than going through all of that the lockdown sagittal plane, frontal plane, kind of simplified movement, making sure you're getting rotation coming up um, into the thoracics. So um, using that kind of the longer strides, using different kind of squats and and lunge patterns, and using a little bit of hand weight into um, holding it in the hands and using um, arm swings to get a little bit of uh, momentum coming down into the thoracics, just driving a little bit of rotation in there. Awesome. Excellent. It's, yeah, so really important. Trans translation, sagittal plane means forward, backward motion. So when you're walking, <laughs> your hands are going forward and then backward. That's the sagittal plane of motion. And then thoracics, that's the 12 vertebra in between. It's like your mid-spine. It doesn't matter. Like right between that hump on the back and sometimes you see that like the dowager's hump thing. From there down to like your lower ribs, essentially. It doesn't matter exactly what it is, but just like your mid-back. That's what we're talking about. We're talking yep. about thoracic yep. spine. Something, <laughs> if a person's locked up in that space, why, why are so many people locked up in that space in the first place? Is that like psycho-emotional something? Is that, you know, the way that you were raised to walk? Is that shame of your boobs? Is that, you know, what, like, what's, what, what's going on? Why do we, why do we have that? There's so many different models and approaches with that. If you talk to some person, yeah. it's like, well, you're storing, you know, mommy issues in your spine. And you're some talk to somebody else. It's like, well, you have, the, you're, you're driving your car and your fascia is getting stuck in this position. Like, what, what do you, so, what do you, what's your, what do you think about that? Why, why so? Well, so I, again, it's, it's all of those are, are valid possibilities. Um, so, you know, so as a therapist, it's, it's partly my job to try and try and find out what, what was it that drove you, uh, the individual to that, that limitation. So it could be that you're just, you're just stuck in the, you're stuck in the truck all day, every day, and you're just moving the arms. It could be that, yeah, you had that trauma with your mother when you were 12, and you just never exhaled since. It can be right. even, I see a lot of, even a lot of movement teachers, as a movement teacher, we also, you have the expectation that if you're standing at the front of the room, you're supposed to look like a movement teacher. Right. And to look like a movement teacher, then you have to lift the chest and kind of project it forward. But well, how do you do that? You well, you extend the thoracic spine, and well, there's a value. If I'm going to be a movement therapist, I'm going to always look like a movement therapist, so that I'm going to walk through life, and you know, it's part of that extrovert value that we have. Well, if I'm projecting, lifting my chest, I've got that nice open chest. Yeah, that, that might be good from the front, and it might look attractive, but it's kind of closing down, locking down the back. Yeah. So there are so many different drivers, and that was no attack on movement therapists. Um, many of many of us, <laughs> many of us do have a very adaptive and and mobile thoracic spine. It's just something to to be aware of. It's a very common common pattern. It's driven um, by emotional trauma. It's dri driven by external expectations, and it's driven by just just habit. Right. Yeah. So. What about last last kind of piece of the puzzle that I want to talk to you as far as biomechanics, sure. the head and the neck. Yeah. What's the role with that? One of the things mm -hmm. I think is very interesting. Um, I'm, I'm spacing what it's called. It's like the writing mechanism, or the when when we're looking up or when we're walking, we want our eyes to be facing forward, right? We don't <laughs> want to be looking down all the time. We don't want to be looking up all the time. We need to be facing forward. So our heads will adjust so that we're always looking forward like that and so the rest of our body then needs to adjust to make that happen so if you have 
said stuckness somewhere in your thoracic spine or you know whatever where it yep. would naturally force you to have your head down or cocked over or whatever you're going to turn your head and then the rest of the system has to adjust to that and you can see a lot of people will have this you know tightness around like the suboccipital area which is like right underneath the base of your skull you know or yep. the, the forward upper cross syndrome forward head posture all that mm -hmm. stuff how does that impact yep. your walk how does that start in the first place and how do we make it better so again, um, it's for all of the, the same reasons as the, the thoracic is made locked on. So it can be psychoemotional. You've got a you've got a, a strong threat. You we go into that fight or flight kind of response. We go into the the startle response where the head goes forward. And if we if we don't deal with that trauma, the head stays forward. Right. Um, it can be habit of you know walking and texting. It can be eyesight issues. So if I'm a little short-sighted, my head might come forward. Um, and it can also just be an emotional protection. So I, I feel more secure if I'm a little shorter and my head goes forward. I'm protecting the, the front of my throat. I'm protecting my chest. The influence that's going to have is, well, the head gets relatively heavier. It's in front of the body, so it's, it's the muscles at the back have to work a little bit harder. I also lose a little bit of the potentially some of the the, the elasticity. You know, at, right at the start of the the interview, you're asking about the the, the superficial front line. How do you just do that posterior toe touch, just reaching behind, and that helped to, to tension all of the tissues on the front. So if I took my head forward, I lose some of that that ability to tension. I'm in a shortened position, which means I'm actually going to have to reach further back with my leg to, to have the, the same effect through the whole tissue. So I lose some of the communication into the rest of the body. One of the things we've, we forget sometimes when we look at the spine, we have, you mentioned the, the suboccipital area, and when we look at it, we say, oh, that, that's, that's brilliant. We can turn our heads. It means that we can almost look behind you when you're driving, trying to reverse. You've got all of that mobility in the, in the cervical spine to move the head. But actually, we forget that uh, it can be the other way around when we're moving a body. It's actually the body moving under the head. Yeah. So those two last suboxone, two upper cervical uh, vertebrae become the, the moments or the areas of last compensation. So if your head is forward, if you've got um, limited thoracic movement, limited movement anywhere, then you know, it'll take advantage of those very mobile first two cervicals. So they, that suboccipital area is then under kind of double stress. You've got your head forward. They're working that a little bit harder. They may be in a shortened position. They have to work that a little bit harder. And then they're having to compensate for loss of movement elsewhere. So even you mentioned the SI joints. If you don't have that four millimeters of, of, of movement, well, something else is going to have to take up that extension phase. And that, that could reflect all the way up into C1, C2, those upper, upper neck uh, segments. Awesome. That's, um, that's amazing, man. I, so, so we went from the, the toes up to the head and neck, you know, and really got into all the mechanics of that, you know, fairly superficial, but nonetheless, enough to give people a sense of all these mechanisms relating together. You know, one of the things that I, that I, I pulled out of your book was it said up to 93%, we can, we can maintain up to 93% of that energy from our contraction through this fascial tissue winding up and then releasing that spring. You know, so of course mm -hmm. you need to dissipate a little bit of energy. It's like the, yeah. 
yep. Newton ball, whatever the Newton ball pendulum ball smacker thing. Newton cradle. Yeah, yep. that one, right? You know, so <laughs> you know, so of course you dissipate a little bit of energy. Which I'm, mine's smacking right now. It's gonna mess up the sound. Um, you know, it's gonna dissipate a little bit of energy, but and you get the system to line up, you can maintain that. You know, I don't know if you've ever rode a horse, but as I was reading, I saw I was like, oh, it's just like riding a horse when you're kind of like that mid like jog trot thing. It's yeah. kind of it's super uncomfortable in my opinion. You know, it's it's like oh, this is weird. I'm like not walking, like out, disengaged, but I'm not galloping where I can actually get in the flow of motion yeah. with that horse. You know, so similar yeah. concept in our bodies. Once you get into that flow of motion, you're in a gallop. That gallop is beautiful. It's sexy. It's powerful. You know, but we need to get out of that middle ground kind of just frumpy. You know, forcing our muscles to get us around the world and get into this fascial expansive contractory spring gallop <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and yeah the body has those those natural gears and and the first gear is probably that 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 frumpy muscle kind of movement right. and then we go into a proper walk and if you speed up the walk it becomes uncomfortable because there's more muscle um required and then we go to a run and then if we speed that up we just break into a sprint every Every gear looks a little bit different. We have a, a different mechanism. We're we're switching in different different energy systems and and just trying to to maximize that that elastic spring. And when we get that, that's that's when movement looks beautiful. When it's when it's sexy. When it's when it's easy. Right. Yeah, and it just kind of flows. Right. Yeah, it's beautiful. Awesome. So, how do people find you? What's um, I, I again? I think I think born to walk is fantastic book. I had a great time reading it. Um, you know, and and. Uh, how do people find you? What's the website or book, Amazon? What do we do? Sure. The book is available on Amazon. And and also if you'd like to support kind of some local local businesses, uh, then I recommend ordering through a, a, a local bookshop. Um, and it's also available through anatomytrains.com or anatomytrains.co.uk, depending whether you're in the US or in Europe. And I'm also doing a, a workshop over in North Carolina coming up in September. Nice. Um, and details on that would be through the anatomytrains.com. Cool. How cool. So something I ask everyone is, is um, if you could go back to any age and give yourself any advice, what age would you go back to and what would you, would you tell yourself? I think I, well, it would definitely be going back to, I think, 21, 22 uh-huh. and saying, stop playing goalkeeper <laughs> in, in field hockey. Right. And get outfield, run more, yes. um, swing that, swing that stick, and, and have a good time. Awesome. I, I chose goalkeeper because I, I was, I was lazy one. I, I was like, oh, I don't have to run about so much. So uh, it's definitely get out there and, and field hockey is probably it's, it's one of those classic kind of multi-dimensional sports. So and it, swinging that stick, you you get you get. We're talking about the bottom up and top down drivers and all kinds of things. So you got lots of momentum going through the body. So I think yeah. I would have kept up with my hockey career. Awesome. Beautiful, man. I, it's so awesome getting to chat with you. I think this is one of my favorite interviews. This is my, one of my favorite subjects. So thank you for coming on. I really appreciate Likewise. it. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Aaron. Awesome. Okay. See ya. Yeah.
Design Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show, and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can find my blog. You can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the, and the uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body. You can check out the online coaching where we work, how, work out how to optimize your movement practice so that you can live optimally and pain-free for the rest of your life. As well, be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car. And it's like a physical therapist, a massage therapist, all wrapped up into one package. I know you guys are going to love the website. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And I look forward to hearing your comments. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.